This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It was like a head-on car accident there. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. Hey, hey, it's G-Mac and Doug Brown. It's the Blue Bomber Podcast. Thanks for subscribing, downloading, and sharing the podcast. And, of course, don't forget to rate it because that uh, pushes us up in the standings. We want to be high in the podcast standings, Doug Brown, like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers tied for first place. 3-0 if you count the preseason. That's a really good point. I wasn't counting the preseason. trophy for being undefeated in the preseason. (laughs) 2-0 in that, plus 1, 3-0 right now. My goodness. Uh, all joking aside, three things you liked about the win in BC. Offensively or defensively? Let's offensively, start, let's start let's with go offense because there's a lot more, I think, to like offensively in the win against BC. Okay. All um, right. I liked how they stuck to their identity. Okay. So zero turnovers. So very clean game. Um, Matt Nichols, three touchdown passes, zero interceptions, right? That is how, I don't want to say manage this system because as we know, that's, that's a hot button right now, but... Um, game. That's not how you manage this game, but um, it's uh, it's it's the identity of the offense to give what the defense takes you, uh, not have mistakes, not have errors, and and capitalize uh, when given. And obviously, uh, Andrew Harris rushing for 150 yards uh, is a huge plus. Uh, you always wonder as a running back gets older, does he still have that? Can he still perform at this level? Is there going to be a drop off? kind of erasing those doubts when you, I think he had exactly 148 yards. And then to that credit, I think you have to, the third thing I like offensively, um, you have to like the performance by the offensive line. The three newcomers at center and the two guards, a lot of uncertainty about that. You know, you let Suk Chung get away. um, The center retired. uh, Three new guys in. Are you still going to be able to have uh, keep a clean pocket for Matt Nichols? Are you still going to be able to open up holes for Andrew Harris? Is he still going to be able to be patient when he gets a handoff and let the blocks develop downfield and then pick his spot and accelerate through? And uh, they were all that and more. Obviously, there's work to be done. You know, they allowed a couple sacks. Um, and uh, you can always be better. There, there were some some issues. Some uh, there was a couple. One of the sacks came up the middle, so on and so forth. But uh, I think a very promising start for that group. And also, uh, it's been getting a lot of attention. Is uh, I don't want to say the elusiveness that Matt Nichols shown, but the ability to an extend a play uh, was on display from him a couple times when he didn't like what he was seeing, and he was able to get outside the pocket and uh, run the scramble drill with his receivers. Uh, resulting in a couple touchdowns for him. So that's a ton of things. There's probably more than three things I liked offensively, but uh, those are good, outstanding. That's a good list. And, and Matt Nichols yesterday in the media availability discussed his his ad, his mobility, his increased mobility such as it is, and the attribution uh, to diet and uh, just physically feeling better. I think there's maybe an acknowledgement there. I don't want to put words in his mouth that perhaps that injury that prevented him from starting the season may have lingered throughout the year and I think we're seeing Matt Nichols as healthy as he's been. Speaking of health, before we move on to the defense, listening to the broadcast, you and and Bob from the West Coast, I sensed, I don't know if you really came out and said it, but I sensed a little bit of concern as to how long the Bombers kept Andrew Harris in the game on Saturday night towards the end. Did they keep him in there maybe a, a series or two too long for your liking? 
Yeah, I mean, for me, he's just such a valuable part of the offense that, you know, if the game's in hand, if you're up by 10, if, you know, time's expiring, then, you know, give the ball to Olivier, who, who needs the reps and the experience. And, I mean, granted, your, your veterans are the guys that salt games away from you. You know you're not going to have a mistake. You know you're not going to, you know, for the most part, have a fumble or, or something to happen and maybe turn the tide and, and give the other team a, a last chance at hope or, or, or coming back. But... For me, it's it's just managing his numbers, right? Managing his touches, and uh, obviously, when he's in a, in a zone like he was then, and, and running the football like he is, and running backs love to run the football later on in games when people, yeah, feed me the rock as as defenses get tired, so on and so forth. But you know, I think I think it's big picture, right? You want him playing his best football in week twenty twenty one or whatever at, at the end of the year, so. Uh, just a difference of just a little bit of surprise, just you know, with, with the game in hand, watching him uh, go close it out. But who knows? I was yelling at the re- uh, at the radio because I was agreeing with you, Doug Brown. Don't always do that, but I was agreeing with you there. Hey, on defense, you mentioned it. Uh, the idea that the Blue Bombers only gave up four rushing yards. Why don't we start there? Yeah, run defense was spectacular. You want to talk about discouraging uh, a, a team from running the football when you are, are that sound in your gaps like we saw on Saturday and, uh, you know, you absolutely just take that option away from it. it makes your life so much easier a defensive player because it's just tee-off time now. You just knew throughout three and a half quarters of that game that it was just rally, drop back, you know, utter shotgun pass, and you just get to tee off that way. Um, now, they only resulted in one sack, but they had some pretty good pressures. And, uh, you know, I think they need to work a little bit on the blitz package. But, yeah, the run defense was was spectacular. And anytime you can make your opponent one-dimensional, that's a huge win. Just simplifies things for you defensively, what kind of coverages you're going to run and uh, how how you can direct your your front four, whether they're in attack mode or not, right? There is a hesitation. You don't want to overstep as a defensive lineman if you're concerned about the run. You don't want your first step to be too far upfield because they can wall you. Really, after your first step, if you've gone the wrong way, you can be walled, you can be cut off, you can be sealed. They can run a, a play next to you. So the minute you know that running is no longer an option and you've eliminated that from the arsenal of your opponent, then it just get it's fun time for the defensive line. It's just like, hey, let's see who can get off the ball faster, see what kind of stunts we can run, let's see who can pressure the quarterback, so on and so forth. So um, a good job by them making uh, the BC lines one-dimensional. So I apologize if I stole your number one thing that you liked about the defense, but can I assume that that was one of the three things you did like about the defense? Well, what's your assumption? That preventing the BC Lions right. from uh, from gaining any yardage on the ground was one of the three things that you liked. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I like the play. I like the play, obviously, of Jeff Hecht in that game as well. Um, he had two in his uh, uh, entire career in the CFL. He had two, two interceptions. interceptions going into that game, and he just doubled that total in one game. And a fake to White and a pass intercepted by Hecht. At the 45, the 40, Heck to 35, he's to the 30, Jeff Heck to 20, the 15, the 10, and brought down at the seven-yard line of the BC Lions. The ball was tipped, and Jeff Heck, Johnny on the spot, picked it off. Uh, one was uh, one was a fortunate interception, like a tip drill kind of thing, right, right place, right time. But the other one... You know, uh, he just undercut the pass, stepped in front of the intended target, and 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 grabbed it. And that's uh, 
that's full credit for that for that play right there. That was uh, and his physical presence. Like I, I think a lot of concern when you lose a player like Taylor Loeffler. It wasn't just you know you got a new player in there. Can he adapt to the system? Does he know what he's doing? But where are you going to lose that physical presence? Where are you going to lose that impact type player? That intimidation factor. Yeah, let's then, be honest. I mean, probably my favorite part of that entire game was what happened with Deron Carter, right? Who just short armed. You know, coming across the middle, totally gives up on his route, kind of pull his pulls his arms back into his body because he was going to get super disrupted. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, I think Jeff might have overdone it a little bit in terms of his reaction and the, the display he put on. And, uh, you know. Could have been a penalty there. Yeah, yeah, certainly. But, uh, you know, anytime you can affect a receiver like that, you're doing your job as, as, a, as a safety. Tell me about the exchange between you and Deron Carter when he shorted on that football. It was oh. pretty obvious to us up here that he, just <laughs> cut, he gave up on the football cutoff his right because he didn't want to get hit. Right, and like I said, I mean, I don't blame him. I, I You know, <laughs> I, was, I was throwing the body around there a little bit. I had a good angle on him. Um, you don't want to get blown up. You just let him know. Yeah. Smart I, decision. I, Is that what you told him? I think so, and yeah. uh, football's supposed to be fun, and at the time, you know, the adrenaline's running, and it's just I felt like – you know, we were about to get into a you know fight on the football field as far as the play, and and he turned it down. So, um, you know, worked out worked out great in our favor. What's the third thing? That the defense did well. Wow, um, I think they tightened up in area, especially in the second half. They had some some uh, big busts uh, initially. There were some drop coverages or a couple back to back explosion plays, I believe, in that game. They had ninety seven yards uh, on. Cons- total on consecutive plays, which yeah. represented 97 of the 324 passing yards that Mike Riley had. So yeah. you take those two plays out of the equation and it was an impressive, more, even, even more impressive display by the defense, but uh, I'll hand the ball back yeah, to you. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, we saw on one play, I think it was Marcus Sales came in and just no attempt to wrap, you know, on a player and he just bounced off of him, and that was, ended up being an explosion play, right? So uh, what's impressive to me, uh, I guess, a standout for the defense was the fact that they struggled early. They had some problems. Uh, they had some explosion plays happen against them, uh, but they were able to get past that. You know, they wiped the slate clean and they were able to turn that performance around. So initially, we we're like, "Whoa, you know, what's what's going on here in the back end?" And it was a concern of ours going into the game, a, a question mark at least. And, you know, the way they were tackling and not wrapping up. But, but then you saw that they were able to move past that and, and respond and, and rebound from that performance and do very well to close things up. Well, Willie Jefferson mentioned yesterday the idea of the philosophy team-wise is to score one point than the other team. But the defensive... One more point, yes. Yeah, one yeah. more point. What did I say? One point. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, one okay. point, not going to do it. I'll defer to you. One more point than the opposition. He says defensively, though... Their philosophy is zero points in the fourth quarter. He figures if you can hold the other team to zero points in fourth quarter, you're going to win most games. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, you got to pick your moments, right? And uh, there's, there's a reason coaches all try to come up with some shtick in the fourth quarter where you all hold hands or you all put four fingers up in the air. They all tried. I don't, I don't know if Mike or Shade does this, but literally every a lot of the coaches I had, oh, we got to do something special for the fourth that's, quarter. That's, that's Friday when, Night Lights thing. Right? That's when uh, <laughs> games are won or lost right in the fourth quarter. So they all try and get you some kind of uh, – gimmick to get you to rally around the fact that you know refocus and re-energize fourth you quarter fourth quarter, now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta you know and uh 
if you can do that defensively, obviously your your chances of winning a lot of games are, are outstanding. In the environment we was in, we knew we had to come out and uh, fight hard. We knew that Mike Riley was going to try to be that guy to try to uh, put them back over the top and stuff like that, come out come out after halftime and get that big turnover to uh, switch the momentum. And then after that, uh, one thing that we focus on as a defense here in Winnipeg is no points allowed in the fourth quarter, like, at all. Like, if we, we know – as a team, we preach uh, one point more than the other team. But as a defense, we preach no points in the fourth quarter. And then, you know what I'm saying? So, like, if they don't score, we win, period. So, now on the flip side, one thing you didn't like about the offense. One thing I didn't like about the offense. Uh, you know, that's actually a tough one. I mean, maybe. Uh, I mean, the fuck that Lucky Whitehead only had three yards receiving? Yeah. Yeah, they only really, I mean, he had one opportunity where he had great separation uh, away from the defender and, and they just missed him, right? So, yeah, maybe uh, some better passing numbers, I guess. I mean, they're so balanced, though. It's hard to have an argument or have a problem with that kind of offensive performance. People are like, oh, you threw for less than 200 yards, but it doesn't matter because you almost rushed for the exact number that you passed for, and nothing keeps a defense more off balance than that kind of distribution and uh, and balance in what you're doing because you just can't you can't cheat as a defensive player. You don't know what they're going to do. They're so versatile. So many guys touch the ball. But there you go. Maybe maybe you want stats wise. The one thing I didn't like about the offense was they didn't have enough uh, stats for the passing game. But that's I'm fine with them being so balanced like that. The the total yardage they had was awesome. The points they scored was awesome. But if you have to nitpick. Um, which you know you really don't want to do in this situation, but there's never it's never a perfect performance. You're like, okay, maybe they hit Lucky Whitehead on that play, score another touchdown, and then the numbers are in, in well into the 200s. Yeah, and I think that's fair. If we're still having this conversation in a similar fashion 15 weeks from now, I think that means the season's going pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, nitpick is a perfect word. Now, one thing you didn't like about the defense, did we touch on it in that discussion with regards to those two back-to-back yeah. uh, explosion plays? There's something else, too. I really didn't like the way they blitzed at all. Oh, really? I mean, I could tell early in the game they wanted to see if they could just get pressure with their front four, and they had some difficulties there. It wasn't a a pass-rushing clinic by any means put on by the uh, Bombers front four, and I think that's kind of what the expectation is this year, is that they don't have to send extra bodies in there and and sacrifice their their coverage in in the back levels uh, because they can get pressure up front, and uh, that wasn't really playing out. I mean, they, they had obviously some push and they had their moments, but it wasn't compelling. And the blitz package, I mean, it just got picked up. Like you, you saw five, six, maybe even seven uh, rushers at, at some time. And Riley just, he got hit, but he was getting rid of the ball. Like I say, he got sacked one time. Uh, he got forced and hurried uh, a, a bunch of times. But for the most part, I thought the blitz package was uh, highly ineffective. So in terms of... Uh, you know, an overload or having a free rusher or someone's got to win uh, in one of those situations when you where you get manned up if they're in max protection there. And we, we just weren't seeing that. Are they getting to half the quarterbacks in the league if they are employing the same sort of strategy on their blitz package? Is it the veteran prowess and savvy of Mike Riley? We know he will stand in there a split second longer than some of the other quarterbacks in the league. Could it be as simple as that? Or is is it a, a structure thing, do you think, on the Bombers' point of view? Um, you know, I, I think 
I don't know. I've never been a big fan of Richie Hall's blitz packages. Uh, you know, it's it's some weeks it's been better than others. It's too it's, predictable. It's been up and down. It just seems too vanilla. You know, it's not uh, uh, creative enough. I guess I would say. And or, I mean, a blitzing mentality is something that really needs to be taught as well. Like uh, it, it took me forever, like to learn. You know, when my coaches were like, "Yeah, no pass rush moves. No, when you're blitzing, you are just." running from point A to point B as fast as you can without, you know, it is, it is such a shift of your mentality as a player. And I think just, uh, that's not a characteristic this, uh, bomber defenses has had in under, under this, uh, tutelage is just that they're not effective blitzers or we haven't seen that or they are sporadically take us inside a little bit more on that so in a blitz situation what what are you doing as a defensive lineman that you aren't doing normally for those that don't let's let's get a little bit deeper into the game here well you're you're hitting you're hitting a different hole depending upon uh you know what the blitz is you're hitting a hole and you're trying to draw blockers to you Right, you're, you're trying to get everyone the block inside out, which shortens the edges on the outside. You're not trying to get around people. You have an assignment to go straight ahead, and if you uh, get three guys yeah, on you, you or none, yeah, it's it's a vertical attack. It's a vertical assignment for you. You're here, and you got to get up the field. And if they condense down on you, then guess what? Then free you know, somebody else up. You got to hit that gap so hard um, that your guy either can't stay with you, takes a penalty with you, someone else has to help him. And like I say, when you block inside out, guess what happens to your edges when, you know, if everyone is just hitting these seams like like they can and they got to squeeze to block, then it shortens things for the, for the outside guys. And, and somebody's got to beat a guy and get a step on, on hitting and, and exploding through that hole. Why don't defenses simply blitz all the time? Well, because of how it um, it sacrifices your coverage on the back end, right? Like, uh, depending upon your your hot route or or, or what you want to, uh, there's more responsibility on the defensive backs when you're blitzing. Yeah, yeah, and and you lose your second level as well. Like if you have zone, if you have linebackers dropping, shallow crossers and such are, are open now. Quick slants are open now, and uh, it limits. You know, it, it increases the space that guys have to cover uh, individually. A lot of time, obviously, when you blitz, you you end up in being in man on the back end because you don't have enough guys left for your compromise to, to be able to play other things. And uh, you can get exposed if you're not getting their effect. You're adding men to your to your rush and you're not getting pressure right away, you're exposing the back end. Okay. I just wanted to let you take us uh, to the inside a little bit of the game there, Doug. Uh, now it's early, of course, one game into the season. Uh, Suk Chung going to the BC Lions. I did not evaluate his game personally. I don't know if you did either. Taylor Loeffler, 10 tackles for the Montreal Alouettes. He was a beast on defense. You mentioned his name earlier in terms of his time here with the Blue Bombers. Did the Bombers do the right thing in letting these guys go? Yeah, like you said, it's 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 early to to make a conclusive statement, but I think uh, you have to pick your poison, right? You're uh they're staring down a fourth consecutive winning season with playoff football hopefully. And you go out and you get Willie Jefferson and you bring Adam Big Hill back and you get Chris Matthews and other guys are naturally getting raises in their contracts. That money's got to come from somewhere. Salary cap's only going up by 50 grand. 
you can't you want to keep everybody that you went to the playoffs with last year you won a playoff game you 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 know granted they were 10 and 8 last year but previous years they were 12 and 6 11 and 7 so they got a good core good nucleus you don't want to compromise that nucleus but you can't pay everybody you can't pay your right guard 250,000 or whatever Suk Chung is making uh, you can't make Taylor Loeffler He's, uh, he's played three years, and he was an all-star three years, but you can't make him the highest paid safety in the CFL and have these other pieces. So you chose, you wanted to, you know, you have to pick where you're going to spend your money, what positions you think will impact you the best, and what positions you think you can get away with not having, you know, premier salary guys there. I think right guard is one where if you draft and develop Canadian offensive linemen very well, you get them for uh, a spell where they're not very expensive initially in their career. If you can uh, get them up to speed quickly. And then the Canadian safety position as well, uh, you know, it's... uh, how much is that changing the game? I mean, you look at, I think Taylor Loeffler had maybe two interceptions last year, something like that. And not so many times where he was separating receivers from the football. So he was an all-star, but can you get away with having someone else play there that is cheaper? So it's a constant cost benefit analysis of the members on your football team. And I think in this instance, so far, the early returns are, they did a great job by recognizing, Hey, we can't overpay and overspend at these positions because we want to spend that money in game changing areas like a number one receiver and like uh, an unstoppable rush end. Bombers not playing this week. They are on the bye. They open the regular season at home. Their home opener, June 27th, against Edmonton. Trevor Harris looked pretty good for the uh, Edmonton Football Club. Uh, over 400 yards passing. That'll be a challenge for the Bombers on the 27th. Yeah, we're getting we're getting way ahead, but. Uh It'll be it'll be interesting to see. Everyone thought, you know, because Edmonton, uh, their season they had last year, and then they lost Mike Riley. So they're like, oh, well, Trevor Harris isn't as good as Mike Riley is, and and that football team wasn't great last year. So naturally, Edmonton will continue to struggle or or be worse than what they were previously. But sometimes different quarterbacks, different personnel, you put them in a new system. Sometimes it just works better. You know, that we're playing and, Montreal. Uh, What's that? And they were playing and they were Montreal. playing Montreal. So, like I said, too early in the in the year to make a definitive statement in, in that regard. For Simone sure. Lawrence, I know uh, two game suspension in all likelihood he's going to appeal that, so he could be playing for a little while yet before a suspension is actually served here. What's your take on how that all went down? Uh, I I would have thought that uh, you would have been the kind of guy. Hey, quarterback wants to run. He's fair game. But I I was surprised at your comments on Saturday well, night. Yeah, I think if a quarterback doesn't want to run, he's fair game up until the point where he gives himself up. Like here's a guy surrendering. It's the equivalent of waving a white flag and putting on your yellow pinny in practice. Um, when you start begin your slide as a quarterback, that is you giving yourself up to the mer- you're making yourself defenseless. Uh, you're vulnerable in that position. That's that's the reason why I didn't agree with what Lawrence did. It's not like it was a Chris Strevler play where uh, you he's know, taking on a guy. Chris is putting his head down sure. and trying to run people over. Mm-hmm. This is the exact opposite. So Chris Strevler is inviting contact. Here we have uh, Zach Claris who has said, yo, I'm done on this play. Here's my slide. And that is, that's taboo in, in pro football. You don't hit a guy while he's going into a slide. And Simone Lawrence kind of has a history of doing these things. So I actually don't blame the CFL um, for the two game suspension they levied against him. I, I totally see it. To me, that's, you just got to pull up 
at that point, right? Quarterback's running. If it's Chris Strebler and he's trying to run you over, then you got to do what you got to do. But different story. It's a completely different story when they're going into the slide. It's very obvious. He's sliding right now. And you decide to launch yourself, right? Do you Lawrence even... is, his defense was, oh, I was already like in the air. I'm like, well, why'd you leave your feet to to go stop a quarterback that was sliding down, that was, you know, marking himself down as, as a runner of the football? It didn't make any sense. Do you even have to tag the quarterback anymore when they slide down? Uh, I'll tell you this, you're going to tag him, don't tag him, don't tag his helmet. I'll tell you, you better tag his shoulder pads or something like that because they'll, they'll get you on that too. You Is know? it time to just eliminate the necessity to have a guy that, that no, goes you have like to, that? because if you're, if you trip or something, if you're a ball carrier right. and you go down and nobody touches you, you have the right to get back up and mm-hmm. continue on. Right. So you want to make sure guys touch you down, but you also don't want guys to get speared. Right, touching a guy down. Well, very, that's very been a penalty for what, decades. Spearing's yeah. been a penalty yeah, for decades. Very so. different from what Simone Lawrence did, leading with his head and making helmet to helmet contact against a guy that is uh, susceptible to concussion. Okay, just got to ask you one more quick question with regard to the frustration that I used to feel as a fan watching players like yourself get to the quarterback, have them wrapped up. And then they would, the quarterbacks, they want all this protection, but then they'd squirm away. They'd get out of, uh, out of the grasp. And I'm just wondering, does the CFL have themselves to blame a little bit on the way uh, defensive players treat quarterbacks? Because I don't think they call that in the grasp situation nearly enough, where a quarterback is clearly his forward momentum is stopped. He's not down, but he's not moving forward. Should that be called more often? I'm not even... Uh, I've got you wrapped up. Okay. You're okay. not going forward. You're okay. not going side to side. Okay. But you're still, you're still struggling. And quite often, you've seen big, strong quarterbacks that will yeah. get out of that situation. And there used to be a call called, he was in the grasp. Uh, similar and to what like Eli Manning did in the Super Bowl when he was almost sacked by the Patriots and he got out of there and threw that... Uh, just, uh, just a question. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting about when they choose to blow a play dead, right? At what point? And there are other times where running back gets stopped and then offensive line, here comes the cavalry and they push you in the end zone kind of thing, right? So I'm more concerned about the quarterbacks, though. I just think the quarterbacks have it two ways. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to scramble. They mm-hmm. want to be able to extend plays almost to their own peril. You played yeah. with enough quarterbacks like that who put their, their life and limb on the line in order yeah. to extend a play, sometimes not intelligently, but lots of times where the defensive lineman or the or linebacker has that player wrapped up and the whistle doesn't go. I, I think the CFL could serve itself better if it started blowing that whistle a little bit earlier as opposed to giving the quarterback an opportunity to be their own worst enemy at times. Yeah, yeah no, that, that totally makes sense. I agree with you there for sure. Okay, well, we didn't talk that one out before, so okay. I didn't know uh, if I would uh, dazzle you with my football knowledge or confound you. And it Let's put it this like way. Quarterbacks get the benefit of the doubt no matter what. And, uh, you know, every football league is offensive-minded, so they want to give advantages and opportunities to I offensive players. And they are going to bend the rules to give them a little bit of favoritism when it comes to, uh, you know, leniency and stuff going forward if there's an opportunity for more production. And I think sometimes it's to the quarterback detriment. We'll leave it there, Doug Brown. We'll get back together next week and we'll look ahead to the Bombers. Eskimos June 27th. As uh, Wade Miller might say, good tickets still available. Thanks, Doug. Fantastic. Thanks. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com.